Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Safer at home is working. It is saving lives. It is the best and most effective tool we have to save lives and prevent our hospitals from being overrun. I think that's an extraordinarily irresponsible and unfair thing for him to say. Essentially what the governor is saying is that it's my way or you're putting people at risk. It's been 49 days since Wisconsin Governor Tony Evers declared a public health emergency over COVID-19. Where do we stand right now and what happens in 11 days when that emergency expires? From the Fox 6 studios, this is Open Record. I'm Amanda St. Hilaire, here with my colleague Brian Polson. Hi, Brian. Hey, happy Thursday, Amanda. Happy Thursday. We are bringing you new episodes of Open Record each day, Monday through Friday, to make it easier to sort through the bombardment of coronavirus news. And today we are recording this episode on Thursday morning, April 30th. It's the last day of April already. That's crazy. So today we are going to take a step back, though. We're going to look at where Wisconsin stands right now from an economic, uh, a public health standpoint when it comes to COVID-19. And we're going to start right now with public health. Amanda, what are the latest numbers from the Department of Health Services show as to where we are in the midst of this pandemic? As of 8 o'clock this morning, the Department of Health Services and the various counties throughout Wisconsin that report their own COVID-19 information, they all show that Wisconsin has detected a total of 6,677 cases of COVID-19. Now, nearly half of those have recovered, 3,210, and at this point, 311 people have died. We are seeing an increase in detected cases, but it's really important to note we've also seen an increase in testing. So the crucial thing to watch here is the percent of those tests that come back positive. Governor Evers says we need to see 14 days of a decline in the percentage of positive cases, and we're not there yet. We've been going up and down, kind of hovering around 10%. Actually, I want to give you a little bit of an idea. So for example, last week, one day we were at 10.68% of the tests were positive. Then we dropped down to 8.9. Then we went up to 11.93. Then we went down to 9.58. So we've been all over in that manner uh, for quite a while, but hovering around that 10% mark. It's not just the numbers, though. We're seeing workplace changes, a push on the economic front as we approach the end of this public health emergency. And when we say end of the public health emergency, we're not saying an end to the public health threat, but the actual emergency that has been declared, that comes to a close soon unless the legislature grants the governor an extension of his powers. So I think a lot of people right now are wondering, where do we stand right now? Well, you talk about the numbers and and we see these every single day. We hear about them. And early on, it was easy to see that the numbers are increasing and they're increasing in some ways exponentially. Um, But since then, it's gotten muddier and it's harder, I think, to distinguish. The numbers are just big, but what do they mean? What kind of context do they have? And you focused on the percentage of 
tests that are done that come back positive as sort of one of those metrics. And I wonder, you know, so much of this from the beginning has been about who is allowed to be tested, who is given access to a test. That can really skew the number of positive tests, I would think, be or percentage even, because if you're only testing people with the most severe of symptoms, they're probably more likely to test positive than when you open up testing to the broader population. So is that also one of the sort of tricky numbers among all these metrics? It is a tricky number. So right now we're at a point where the guidance is, if you have symptoms, you should be tested. We're being told Wisconsin labs have that capacity now. But you're right, Brian, for a long time, it was only the sickest of the sick who were getting tested. Even healthcare workers had a hard time getting tested. And it was taking a while for those results to come in. So those numbers we were seeing were on a pretty significant delay. Now we do need to keep in mind, you can be positive for COVID-19 and be asymptomatic, not showing symptoms. Um, So we've heard from the federal level that there is a strong chance that COVID-19 cases have been strongly undercounted. So there's there's a lot of context to take into consideration here. I look at, for example, the percentage of hospitalizations, because that's one thing that epidemiologists say we should be watching. Because if you have a really high percentage of the positive cases being hospitalized, it can show the severity. Well, the problem is if only the sickest people who are already in the hospital are getting tested, then yeah, you're going to have a high percentage of positive cases being hospitalized. And right now for Wisconsin, that number is 23%. So it's going to be interesting over the next few weeks to see how and if those numbers change as we expand access to that testing. It seems like because who's getting tested and under what circumstances has been such a moving target, you really need to look from a scientific standpoint at constants. What can you look at that is constant? And one thing we know is constant or generally is constant unless they set up emergency uh, uh, bed spaces like at State Fair Park is the number of hospital beds that are available and the number of hospital beds that are filled with COVID-19 patients. And is that a number that we can watch over time and see, okay, are the hospitals overwhelmed? Because I've heard a lot of people say this, and this does seem to have been true at the beginning of this. The whole reason for flattening the curve was to try to minimize the impact on the healthcare system and prevent it from becoming overwhelmed. So is that something that public health officials and government officials are watching to see, okay, if the hospitals are not or if the number of people who are hospitalized with this is dropping, is that one of the metrics they're watching? It is one of the metrics they're watching. What I think is interesting is when we talk about flattening the curve, by flattening it, of course, you mean that we're trying to keep that peak level from spiking above what hospitals can handle. But it also means, of course, that things drag out longer. You don't have the instant spike and the instant drop. So things drag out longer, but at a more sustainable rate. So the data that we're looking at from hospitals show right now they're not overwhelmed from COVID-19. Governor Tony Evers and his administration say they fear if we just snap our fingers and everything goes back to, quote, normal, that that will soon change. That just because it's sustainable now, that doesn't mean that we're done and we're through this. However, his critics um, and the reason that the Republican legislature is taking this to court, they're saying, well, look at where things stand right now. It doesn't look like it's that bad. It looks like people should be able to at least start getting back to some of their normal routine soon. And that's that's why they're pushing to 
against the extension of that stay-at-home order that the uh, the governor's administration had announced a few days ago. Well, and I know we've talked about death rates as a metric, and if you look at the numbers right now in Wisconsin, you said 311 deaths out of 6,677 cases. You do the math on that, I think, if I'm doing it quickly in my head, that's roughly about a 5% death rate. And that would seem to be a very high death rate if you compare it to the overall death rate we know of the flu, which is just 0.1%. That's 50 times more deadly than the flu. But I think we also know that these numbers are somewhat skewed and that death rate can be a moving target. Because, it again, it comes down to who's being tested, how many tests. If all of the asymptomatic carriers were being tested, obviously the death rate would drop dramatically because you would get more positive tests but fewer people dying. So that's also a moving target, but I imagine that's one we're going to keep watching as time goes on as well. That's right, Brian. And so we have situations in which some numbers are likely being overcounted or undercounted, and it makes it hard to know exactly what we're looking at but the reality is we've we have to use the data that we have and that's something and in some cases that data is really difficult to get we still don't know in wisconsin and in many parts of the country which long-term care facilities have had covid19 outbreaks there's a refusal to name those facilities so we don't know exactly where this is or how badly it's hit different parts of our state. And that makes it really hard to get a grasp on this. But the reason there is, I wanna go back to that percentage of positive COVID-19 cases. The reason there is such an emphasis on that in part is because when Governor Evers laid out what it will take to reopen the state, that was part of what he highlighted. He said that we need over 14 days, a trend that shows a decline in those percentages of positive cases. So that's something that people are watching very closely. We haven't met that standard yet, but it but that's the thing that people are keeping an eye on to see if when, when we hit that target, then even the governor has said it's time to start thinking about reopening. It is. And I do want to look at, we talk about models for this all the time. And of course, when we talk about the scientific models about COVID-19. They're not a crystal ball, but they show how things could trend. So IHME has actually started releasing state by state when they believe that uh, social distancing can be relaxed in an area. They call it the containment strategy. So IHME says for Wisconsin, after May 22nd, 2020, Relaxing social distancing may be possible with containment strategies that include testing, contact tracing, isolation, and limiting gathering size. So they're saying after May 22nd, we'd still have some limitations, but we might be able to relax some of this. That's actually pretty closely in line with what Governor Evers has been saying. The question is, how will this actually play out in real time? I've been watching those IHME models for uh, a few weeks now, and one thing that is clear is if you look, you can look state by state, you can look at the United States as a whole. Uh, Based on those models, we are all well past the peak of resource use, but what they earlier showed, and again, these are predictive models, so that predictive models don't always come true. What they had been showing a couple of weeks ago looked like, even by now, a lot of these peaks would have dropped back off to near zero. And instead, they have kind of flattened out and hung around a little bit. And they continue to predict that they're going to drop off to near zero 
but the time that they've predict that, predicted that would happen has been extended out, and that's where now they're starting to come up with when these containment strategies might be most effective. That could also get pushed back. So these are predictive tables, and, and, and it's, they're doing their best with the science to make those future predictions, but as new data comes in, those predictions sometimes change. Well, and with the models, it's an if-then scenario, right? So my husband's a civil engineer. He'll have to do models all the time for, okay, if we get this kind of flooding, what could happen? Okay, now if we get this kind of flooding, what could happen? So it's not to say that this is exactly what will happen, but it's if these conditions are present and remain constant, here's what we could see. So I hear a lot of times people saying, the models have been wrong. It's not that the models have been, models aren't necessarily designed to be right or wrong. They're designed to show you different scenarios to help make decisions. And that's what's going on here. But then you have to take what happened in the real world as opposed to what the assumptions were. And one of the things that's happening right now in the real world is we are seeing some outbreaks. Even as we talk about things starting to maybe come back down the backside of the peak overall, there are some pretty serious outbreaks, and the one we're hearing maybe the most about right now is the outbreaks at meatpacking plants, meat processing plants all across the country, including right here in Wisconsin, particularly in Green Bay and in Cudahy. And that's something that is still, uh, for many people, uh, very much a growing concern because of the number of cases that have been tied. We know more than 200 cases have been tied to, to meat processing facilities in Green Bay. We don't know the number in Cudahy, which is still part of the story here. There's been a concerted effort on the part of the company and of the mayor of Cudahy to keep those numbers from being publicized. But that's clearly something we're watching closely because those are fresh outbreaks that have the potential to uh, once again further the spread in the communities where these people work. And Brian, I know we've seen kind of a flurry of news over the past few days about meat processing plants, including OSHA investigations. I know President Trump at one point weighed in. So where do things stand right now? Well, the, the meat processing plants, all there there are plants all across the country that have had outbreaks, We the most notorious of which was in uh, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, the Smithfield plant, where uh, more than 900 cases, positive uh, tests, were tied to that one plant. We know of at least one death at that plant. That plant remains shut down. It has been for more than two weeks. And that is a plant that is believed to supply something like 5% of the nation's pork supply. So it has farmers. Uh, pork farmers very concerned. They're talking about having to to euthanize pigs that they can't get to slaughter because of the shutdown. And that's not the only facility. It's happening uh, at Tyson Foods plants all across the country. And of course, it's happening here in uh, Wisconsin, where you have the Patrick Cudahy plant that has been on a rolling shutdown, shutting down various departments uh, on a on a rolling basis to try to disinfect that facility. We know at Patrick Cudahy there were at least 28 cases. We reported that back on April 15th. But since then, we haven't heard any updates. It's been two weeks, uh, more than two weeks now, since the 28 cases were reported. And the Cudahy Health Department and City of Cudahy have stopped reporting the number of cases that were tied to that facility. Um, what we do know, though, is that they uh, implemented testing of all employees, or at least most employees, at the facility, we I believe there are more than 900 workers at Patrick Cudahy, and between April 24th and April 28th, they tested more than 500 of them. 
However, they have not released the number of positive tests that came out of that. And so far as we know, the plant remains in these rolling shutdowns. Some of the departments that were shut down are set to reopen within just the next few days. So it'll be interesting to see if that happens or if there will be additional delays in reopening those. But big picture, th there's been a, a lot of fight among local health departments, local mayors, governors to try to get some of these facilities shut down and contain the spread of COVID-19 um, that seems to be tied to these meat processing plants. But at the same time, the Trump administration has now issued uh, a directive that decisions to close these meat processing plants has to come from the federal level because we're talking about the food supply and that's a part of our critical infrastructure and the food supply, uh, the Trump administration argues, is being threatened here. So they've essentially said they want these plants to remain open unless the federal government says otherwise and there are those who are critics of the, the, the plants and the way these things have been handled who say that's just giving the meatpacking industry cover to continue operating under unsafe conditions. So there's really a lot going on with this right now. The bottom line is we know there are outbreaks at these facilities all over the country. And in some cases, we don't know quite how great they are or what it's going to take to make those facilities safe for operation. One thing that's being discussed is the possibility of slowing down the processing lines, slowing down the the uh, the meat packing lines, so that uh, they can have employees stand six feet apart. Because of the speed of those lines, they have mm. to stand so close together that it contributes, obviously, to the spread when you have sick employees coming to work. The speed of these lines has been something that's been a debate for years, and the industry has pushed for faster and faster allowable speeds. And just last September, got approval to reach speeds of, uh, I think in, for instance, poultry plants, 175 chickens a minute. I don't know what that means. I have no context for that. <laughs> what I do know is the industry has- It sounds has like an, a lot. The industry has an interest in faster speeds, more product, getting stuff out the door. And the question is, especially at a time with an outbreak like this, is the speed of that processing putting the health of their workers in jeopardy and therefore the health of the communities those workers go home to? So all of this is happening right now and there's a lot going on behind the scenes that we just don't know about. But at the end, the effect at the grocery store is you may well see shortages or, or a bump in prices on packaged meat. And, and also you've got the concern about uh, in certain communities that surround these plants, um, how much of a continued concern is there about the spread of COVID-19, even as others are seeing a decline. And I think the big question here, because like we mentioned at the beginning, we're having these conversations about issues that are still far from being resolved and in some cases maybe ramping up. We don't know in the case of, you know, Patrick Cudahy meat processing plant because we don't know how many positive cases there are there. But we are less than two weeks out from the expiration date of this public health emergency. So it makes me wonder what's going to happen when that does expire. I can't see the Republican legislative leaders wanting to give Democrat Governor Tony Evers an extension of those powers. So it, it makes me wonder where these issues will stand as that comes to a close. Well, and you said something there, too, that may be confusing to listeners. At times it's confusing to me. But you said we are less than two weeks or about two weeks from the expiration of the governor's emergency powers. But the safer at home order has been extended out until May 26th. That's four weeks away. So what's the difference between those two things? That's actually what's 
going to be decided by Wisconsin State Supreme Court. So the extension of the Safer at Home order, the the governor's administration says that the Department of Health Services has the power for public health situations like the one we're in, regardless of whether we're in a public health emergency, to order businesses to close, to take those powers. And that's why the Department of Health Services extended that Safer at Home order. The Republican legislature said, hold on, wait a minute, that's not how this is supposed to work. Your emergency powers during a public health emergency is supposed to give you this power, and that expires on May 12th. So whether you're saying this comes from you or it comes from Department of Health Services, we don't believe you can extend this beyond the end date of that public health emergency. So that's the case that's at Wisconsin State Supreme Court right now. Yesterday, several uh, interest groups filed their briefs uh, in support or against, and we're going to see how it plays out. Uh, there's a chance we, we could have a decision as soon as Friday, as soon as tomorrow. This is something that needs to be decided rather quickly because, uh, depending on what happens, people may need to go back to the drawing board here and figure out, okay, how do we come up with a plan to safely reopen Wisconsin? So we'll see how all that plays out. And we're already hearing about places where businesses are looking to push those limits. They're not even waiting for this decision. They're not waiting for the governor's original 60 days to expire. Some are saying we're going to open now. But after some of those announcements, we've seen businesses backtrack from those claims because Mm -hmm. they've run into other issues. Can you talk a little bit about what's happened with that? I know we've heard a lot about businesses saying they would open, but then in reality, we've seen that maybe it didn't quite go that way. Yeah, well, so what's interesting, and I've talked to a few businesses that actually are considered essential during this time, but they're saying essential doesn't mean you're making money because regardless of what's allowed to actually open, if people are still practicing their own voluntary social distancing measures, then they're not going to be going out and frequenting those businesses. So the confusing thing about the extension of the Safer at Home order is at the same time it was extended, some of the restrictions kind of eased up. So we have more businesses that are now able to operate doing curbside pickup and delivery and other uh, methods that cut down on the person-to-person contact. So we're seeing that easing of restrictions. Now, you still can't open if you're a hair salon, for example. There are some businesses where you have to have that close contact. So those industries are still hurting right now. But some other businesses are now able to operate. And after that, as we've seen that roll out, yesterday was the first day some of those businesses could really start to jump back into things you know, we're, we're going to see what happens with them. Some businesses really depend on that foot traffic. I think, you know, downtown Cedarburg, where you have all the boutique shops and things where it's really someone walking by, something catching their eye. They're just not going to have it. Even if they're allowed to open, if people aren't out, that doesn't really help them very much. And you look at there are places where businesses that are not on that list, even the relaxed list of essential businesses that have said we're going to reopen. The city of Hartford said it would not take any action against the licenses of businesses. It would leave it up to them to decide whether or not to reopen uh, this week. And when that day came, 
those businesses didn't reopen, or at least most of them didn't, uh, from what we've observed. And and the reasons that have been given uh, are because there are other factors, and one of them is getting insurance. Uh, a lot of those small businesses that said they wanted to reopen in defiance of the governor's order uh, got cover from their own city uh, saying, we're not going to come down on your license. They then found out they couldn't get insured during this time because of the emergency order. Others, like you said, hair salons, they can't risk their state licenses um, because they do require uh, licensing from the state of Wisconsin. So while the local city may say you're okay, that doesn't mean that the state is going to allow it to happen. And then you had... uh, in the city of Wauwatosa, Jackson's Blue Ribbon Pub, the owner made a very bold proclamation on Facebook that he was going to open as of, I think it was May 1st, which would be this Friday, uh, and, and he has since backed down from that because he received word from the city of Wauwatosa that they could take action against his license. And of course, when you have a, a restaurant and bar, you've got a liquor license to think of, extremely valuable in the state of Wisconsin. So there are business risks that these businesses would be taking by reopening if they are not considered essential and and despite their maybe their their great desire to do so and 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 in some cases the need to do so to try to survive long term they've looked at it and said it's just not worth uh you know a couple of weeks of operation to lose my license so even even the ones that want to aren't necessarily reopening and some businesses are saying we don't want to reopen right now i just saw a petition uh an online petition from hair salons in new hampshire saying we'll wait we're, we do not consider ourselves essential. We are worried it will hurt our business more if we open and people get sick because of this close contact and then we don't have a staff and we don't have customers anyway. They're saying if you take the long view that they think they'll be better off if they wait. So that was a petition going around saying we don't want to open, which surprised me when I saw it. Of course, there are a lot of other people who feel uh, completely opposite, but it is important to note that there's a wide variety of viewpoints in the business community, especially the small business community. Well, I think one of the things that, that's been true from the beginning, and, and this will be true until the end, is that uh, it's understandable that anyone whose livelihood is on the line and is being affected has great incentive to see things open back up. They want things to get back to normal. I think most of us want things to get back to normal. On the other hand, there's also a, a serious public health concern, and I think there's a great number of people who don't want to see that public health concern drawn out and dragged out so that we end up in this kind of a quarantine even longer, or that we see our loved ones get infected and seriously ill or even die. So there are competing interests, and it's not that anyone's necessarily wrong, but the debate and the, the controversy becomes how best to deal with this and how do we manage both of these things at the same time. There is no doubt this pandemic has raised issues and, and questions that have never been raised before in our lifetimes. And, and you know, we're still seeing it play out day by day. We're still in the midst of this thing. It's not over yet. And that's why we're still podcasting. That's why we're going to keep doing this, bringing those more frequent episodes as we cover this COVID-19 pandemic. There's so much to talk about. And if there is a topic you want us to discuss or an issue that you think we should investigate, we do want to hear from you. So please send us an email at theinvestigators at fox6now.com. Thank you to the people who make this podcast possible every day. Producer Pete, Suzanne Barthel, Sarah Smith, and especially our amazing editor, Dave Machuda, who has to put up with our flubs and our restarts all the time. And please subscribe to Open Record if you haven't already. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening once again. I'm Brian Polson, And for Amanda St. Hilaire, we'll be back again tomorrow.